You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. It's uh, short for Mohammed, uh, no relation. Uh, <laughs> you know what I refer to when I say that, right? The, the big dog. No, the OG. This week, I'm very excited to be chatting to the amazing Mo Omar. That was the beginning of him performing his stand-up comedy set on Harry Hill's new programme on Channel 4. And Mo is a Somali-born comedian who grew up in Wales after arriving to the UK as a refugee when he was seven. We met recently when he performed at an event that I was speaking at and he literally had the whole audience in tears of laughter, which was amazing because it was an event about refugees which covered some quite heavy themes, but he still had everyone in stitches. I've been away in Bangladesh the last few weeks. If you guys follow on Instagram, you will have seen that I've been posting about it lots and I've been spending time in Kutapalong refugee camp, um, home to 1.2 million Rohingya refugees who live in the biggest refugee camp in the world. And that's why there's been a little bit of a gap between episodes. Um, So I thought that now this week would be the perfect time to bring you Mo um, with some fun and some good vibes in the run-up to Christmas whilst still covering some themes, some important topics of migration, integration, religion. We talk about the sex talk, we talk about controlling mothers and way, way more. So I hope you enjoy. All right, Mo. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely great to have you here. I'm glad we made this happen. Thank you for having me. Maybe you can just give a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do. Okay. I'm a Welsh Somali comic. I I do comedy. I've been doing it for a few years now. I met you at a uh, event, which I very much thought I was going to do. I have to do a TED talk at because mm-hmm. I saw everyone else doing it, and I was like, "Bro, I'm have to go. Am I doing comedy, or am I supposed to do a life story?" I was at the back watching all of you writing notes of how can I turn my material into a TED talk. You're right. Everybody else was talking quite seriously about their work yeah. and what they were doing and giving a bit of a presentation. And then yeah. you came in and mixed that all up. And actually, it was yeah. really refreshing and necessary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that's what you want uh, as your comedy review is refreshing and necessary. Yeah, that's good. Uh, two, two good words, uh, right? <laughs> Not funny. Necessary. Funny it as had, well. <laughs> it had to happen. It had to happen like the Black Plague. So basically, mm. we met at this event yeah. and you're right that 
you did bring a different element to it. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that you didn't change your whole talk to yeah, yeah, a yeah, TED yeah. Talk vibe because I think that when you're talking about serious topics like we were, you need to inject it with a bit of humour sometimes yeah. and that that does actually help people to connect with the issue. Yeah, but it's sometimes like I've gone on fundraisers and before me someone has been playing some sort of sad piano music and then they'll be like, and next... The comedian and tears streaming down their face. You'll have to go on and be like, hey, da da da. da. And it has to be the right context. There was an event I did, like an Islamic fundraiser, because I'm not Muslim. And I impressed this upon the organizers. I was like, I can't change my material. And they're like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not fine. Are you sure you want me going on stage? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. They love it. They love it. They're really open-minded. When someone tells you the audience is open-minded, you know, if you have to check that the audience is open-minded, they're not open-minded. And it was that. It was just me performing to silence. So what do you do when you can feel that the audience isn't vibing it? If it's, if it's an angry audience, at least you can banter with them and you can like joke and like go back and forth and back and forth. But if the audience hate you, the real hatred is silent. It was a really posh event. It was in a really nice hotel, like chandeliers. So I, the opening joke is where I lost them when I went. <laughs> it's nice to see where all my ancestors' gold went. <laughs> and that's when I lost them. And then I carried on. But you know when it's raining heavily and you're like, I know where I need to get to. There's no point looking up. The rain will just get in. You keep your head down and you just... You just keep, run through keep it. Keep walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep walking. Don't let them think you're panicking because if they think you're panicking, they will be like, they'll, they'll see there's a weakness. So you have to pretend like you're doing really well and you have to be like, ha ha. So yeah, anyway, you have to do, your, I do my own laughter sometimes. And then the worst thing was, I made a joke about pink tea. So pink tea? Pink tea. It's like this Kashmiri tea. It's an it's, it's a Asian tea. And I grew up, all my friends are Pakistani. So mm-hmm. I grew up going to their weddings and I have, a, like, I have an addiction to that tea. That's all, the only reason I turn up to those weddings is for that tea. Okay. Otherwise, I'm the only Somali in an all Asian wedding. And it's very weird that I'm there. It's not like <laughs> if I was white, it would be like, oh, look at the cultural exchange. A Somali being there, it's just a bit, of, they're just a bit put out. But they, they, they let me stay there. And I only want the tea. So I was talking about that. I made a joke about it. I got a glimmer of a laugh. It was a mostly Asian audience. I got a glimmer of a laugh. I moved on back to just silence, <laughs> silence, silence. And then I did my time. My, my watch beeped. So anyway, thank you very much for having me. I, as I'm walking off stage, the presenter goes, stay on, stay on, stay on. I go to shake his hand and he keeps hold of my hand. He drags me back to the middle of the stage and he goes, you were talking about pink tea. Here is some pink tea. And he handed it to me like it was a trophy. And then I had to go, aha. <laughs> And then he was like, he put his arm over me so I can't walk away. Yeah, but that's nice though, no? No, because it- I wanted to leave. <laughs> and uh, I had performed this. If, if, if I had been smashing it, it would have been nice. It would have been a bit of banter. It's not banter when it's like, it was basically a hostage situation for both of us. <laughs> and I just, I was about to leave them and then get dragged back on to a joke. It, they will now know that that was the only funny thing. Was, yeah, and the only thing the, that resonated. Yeah, yeah, and the organizer was so aware of this, he rushed out to get the pink tea. I, I mean, you do discuss in your material some mm. quite 
controversial themes, right? You do bring in things that are difficult to talk about, but for me was hilarious. And when the the event that I saw you speak, everybody really resonated with the whole crowd and it was a really good um, dynamic. Can you tell us a little bit about the themes that you do cover? So I cover, I cover religion. I cover being from a refugee background. I cover nationality. Uh, like where you're, where 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 you're from, where it feels like you're from. I cover like adapting to it. So, for example, uh, something I've been trying to write about recently is how wanting to be westernized and modern are supposed to be these similar things, but it's it's not always like it's not always the same thing. Like some Western traits are not they're not good. They're, 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 Give me an example. For for example, double beds. Like, why do people sleep on double beds? The absence you feel. That's why they all date so early and that's why they're all in relationships so much. I sleep on a single bed. I've never felt the absence. Heartbreak was not a part of my childhood. So like, while you're single, you sleep in a single bed and when you're in a no, relationship... No, I still sleep in a single bed because I'm not... Uh, until this thing is secure, I'm not doubling the bed size. Because <laughs> if she leaves, there's that absence. So I'm, I, I, I just... But that's the point. I try and like uh, talk about... Things that people from my background would go third culture kids and people from my background would go through, and uh, what's a try third and culture make, kid? A third culture kid. So it's someone who was born in one culture, but uh, assumes his identity from a separate one of the, the like separate from their parents, and they have to like a third culture kid. For example, um, may speak several languages. Uh, their parents would be from it can be people from you know, refugees, ambassadors, kids, kids of military parents. So your your parents are one nationality, you live in another yeah, nationality, yeah, yeah. but you associate with a third nationality. Yes, yeah, or you associate with one or the two, and it's like the idea of being the third person, like you're outside yourself constantly, and you're having oh, to okay. bring together and, and consolidate. So for example, I used to think I was really modern in terms of uh, relationships and stuff, and I find I'm ossifying as I'm getting older. I don't even and know I'm, what that means. So, so I'm, 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 I thought I was really like, oh, free love, man. Oh, yeah, everyone. But I'm really, really like, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty vanilla. I want, I want a normal life. I don't want to, I don't want to, like those people who have tumultuous relationships. And that's what they do their whole lives is they go from one relationship to the other to the other. Also to talk about um, where, where, where you have national allegiances. Like, for example, when I was young, I wanted to join the army, the British army. Not for any other reason except I just wanted to be in the army. And I didn't really care which army it was. And then when I went to the military prep college for like once a week, they would take us there. I wanted to be with those friends. So it wasn't about the army. It's like people would always be like, do you realize the wider implications of what you're doing? And then I was like, no, I'm 15 or 16. I want to hold a gun. I want to run around in a field. I want to go camping. These people are let me do it. And they're making it seem... Have you seen those army adverts? It's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember it was like, you can travel the world yeah, and yeah, have yeah, new yeah. experiences. I was like, I want to travel I the was, world. I had every single Andy McNabb book, every single Chris Ryan book. They're like, they, they mm-hmm. write like army books. And um, I was in the cadets. I was in the Navy. I was Navy cadets. And it was all this different stuff. And I was just upset. And really, it's just about like having friends and all mm-hmm. and being, yeah, doing something your of your own. Doing. So yeah. And that's another signifier for third culture kids is that they're very obsessed with belonging because you don't have that idea, that identity. 
you become you choose an identity and that becomes your whole thing so for example when i wanted to join the army that's all i would think about like that was day and night that's all i i only dressed in stuff I used, yeah no, i used to insist if my mom was buying me clothes i'd buy it from the military uh, so i was military the, surplus yeah, yeah, yeah and that's the only clothes the boots is all i would wear all this stuff you're searching for an identity which all teenagers are but i think it's heavier with third culture kids because you don't have that your your home life doesn't match the outside so, you're so you to, were a third culture kid who yeah. wanted to resonate more with British culture. Mm. I think more Welsh culture because uh, okay. I'm from Wales. I don't associate with the British culture, but it's just a pernickety reason. Like being British seems so, has all this weight, but being from a little country, mm-hmm. Wales is really, it's a pretty innocent country in comparison to England and its thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're an immigrant or a refugee, it's nice that I'm a collection of little nations rather than British, which subsumes so many people. And then, and then, and then rejects immigrants. So if someone from North Wales rejects immigrants, it's because they've never left. They've never. They've. They're like, you don't come to me. I don't come to. You. I can't. I can kind of understand their isolationism. But if someone who lives in England, they have all this history of like most of their wealth was built off the back of the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and they know this, then. Really, you just think other people are less than you. Yeah. So basically what I'm saying is Welsh racism, I can abide because it's my kind of racism. English racism, they can go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all right, you can swear, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was funny not to swear. <laughs> okay, so you wanted to be Welsh growing up. Mm. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think Welsh or I think just a mixture. You just want to be an amalgam and you want to belong in everything. I don't really believe in talking about like oh, I'm, I'm black or I'm, I'm British or I'm, I'm Welsh or I'm Somali or all, the, all this other stuff. I think it's nice to have the control where you can choose, mm-hmm. pick and choose. Like I have this joke where I'm like, if someone, if this room was taken over now, which if I could decide my, change my allegiances straight away, I'd be like, brothers, I've been distracting them straight away. I would because I have no allegiance. To, so you don't feel a specific allegiance to no, any of those no, words? No, it's just, no. It's just who you feel like you belong to at that moment in time. And, and that I changes think, for you. Yeah, there, there's... Um, I was watching... Uh, have you seen The Good Place? No. It's this uh, Netflix series. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a comedy drama. But um, there's a psychologist in it who talks about... There's two stages people go through, which is um, the me and us stage so it's when a child learns that they give away some of their personal freedoms to be part of a group Mm -hmm. and then there's the us and them stage which is how nations and religions and you know uh, racism and all this stuff stuck and most people are stuck at that stage and that's how we have all those borders and stuff so what's the next stage beyond that i think i think we'd have to be invaded by aliens for it to be uh all of us against those weirdos nice yeah Got yeah you. Um, so it would be like us on this earth against yeah them exactly from this have, other you, world. have you ever read austin scott card's uh ender's world no and ender's game sorry it's called ender's game it's questionable now because he was a massive homophobe so the aliens <laughs> were called the buggers and they were taking over. And so it's questionable. But the, the idea is that um, the world got like taken over. And so there's this like supranational. Suddenly, there's no g- local governments and all that stuff. It's a supranational government. And he does a good job about like all these kids are taken up and they're trained to like be fighter pilots and all this stuff. And they're all from different parts of the world. So like there's a Muslim kid from Saudi Arabia. There's this kid who's from Prague and all this. And they, because there's this other they themselves don't see themselves as this different. As kids, they're like, there's the initial skirmishes, but then they grow they unite. to... unite. Yeah, then they, they have a universal identity. So did you feel different when you were growing up in Wales? 
Hmm. I think yeah. If, for example, I, I didn't care much about like clothes and stuff, which 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 would be a huge signifier. Because if you if you already know how lucky you are to be there, to suddenly want a designer jacket seems ridiculous. So I have this like really mature ideas of like oh, I'm too grown up for this stuff. But then I have these really ch- childish ideas. Of like, I remember once I said to my mum, and I, sh- I every time I like shiver at the idea of me saying that, I was like, "You can't even read. I've read more books that, than you've lived lives. So you know what? You don't know anything." And imagine saying that to your mum, who's made the journey all the way here, mm-hmm. and then the arrogance. I've forgotten the question. I just shivered at the idea of me saying. I just remember saying that so like, clearly. Did you feel different? Did you find it yeah. difficult growing up? Did you, yeah. do you remember times that you did feel? Yeah, and I went to a predominantly white school. But somehow my whole group was Asian, and the, there were other two. There were two other black kids, but uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really fit in with them because, mm-hmm. like, when I went to primary school for the first time, for example, I was too Somali for the Somali kids because there were loads of Somali kids, and uh, I sounded different to them. So I was fresh off the boat. That was the nickname they had. Fresh. You were born here, though, right? No, I was born in Somalia. Okay. So they they call the the nickname was Fresh, and then when my accent changed, when I learned the language. And because um, my mum insisted on me working on my diction and all this other stuff, now I was too posh, and now I was you different. went too far the other yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. So there was a Somali community where you yeah, lived. a massive one, a massive okay. one. Because Somali, because uh, Cardiff has a practically indigenous because they've been here since um, you know because they had the docks, and so they're a third generation, fourth generation Somali. So our kids here, there are kids there who can't speak even Somali. But they considered themselves more Somali because they know some certain phrase and they only hang out with Somali people. Okay, interesting. And the nickname for them is Beans on Toast. So that's Why? what they're called because they're British Somalis. So they're not they're not considered real Somalis. They're considered beans. That's the nickname for them. Yeah, but beans are pretty British, right? Yeah, that's why they're called that. So they're, they're, the the those kids are called Beans on. Toast. I remember when I went to Somalia to do their gig. And the guy said that to me. He's like, oh, beans on toast. So some kid must have once ordered beans on toast. And then it's just stuck. Okay, yeah, yeah. And a, whole, yeah, get, yeah. a <laughs> whole generation has been just nicknamed that. Somalis are best at nicknames. Like there was like kids called like Lamppost, who was really short. And then like there was a guy called J-Lo because he was like a bit effeminate and had a big ass. <laughs> And like harsh names, like they're not. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Unless they're, it was a girl, like yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being nicknamed J. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But no, no, there has to be. It'll, it'll. It has to be offensive in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I like, bet you were good at coming up with them. <laughs> no, no, no. They, they had like my name nickname was H two O. Because once a kid asked me, what's, what's H2O mean? And I explained. And he went, ha ha, look at him, H2O. And that stuck. <laughs> like, that was it. That was my nickname. And then it veered between that. And uh, I tr- basically, I tried to have my own nickname. I tried to have my nickname as Eminem. And uh, instead, it became Shed Boy. Because uh, I got cha- basically, I was getting bullied. So I climbed up a shed and I refused to come down for ages. <laughs> and the teachers were trying to grab at me and I was like kicking them off. Like, how old are we talking here? This is like eight or nine. So this is when I just first arrived. So okay. around eight. So how old you were eight when, yeah, you, yeah, when yeah. you came to the UK? And, yeah. and what brought your family here? Same thing that brings everyone here. Like my mum was like, why would we, like life's, life's so hard here. Why would we stay? And why would I put my kids through this? 
I think it's the last big risk. She's very risk averse now. Like she won't cross the road unless it's definitely green. And she, I think because she's she's like I've cashed all my chips on in regards to. Yeah, she'll like, make, I've taken all my risks. Yeah, away. Yeah, that's yeah. enough she, for one lifetime. The woman lifetime. doesn't risk anything anymore. <laughs> Fearless at the beginning, and then it's like it's like a it's like one of those old uh, Spartan warriors who's like I don't fight anymore. I don't even go. I don't go near sharp objects. I've I've survived this long. She came over here and, and people say it's like, oh, it must have been hard. It was really easy when you were a kid. People treat you really nicely. Like there were some adults who are really bad to you, but it's the home office. The thing is, if you really want to stay, you'll deal with all the bullshit. So mm-hmm. they, they bump you from house to house. They like put you in hostels. And Do luckily, you remember that? Do you remember oh that? yeah, definitely. We talked about some volunteering that Mo had done to support the asylum seeking community. I've worked in an asylum seeker charity, and so someone's just been just been told they have to that they, they're not you know eligible for any support anymore. Mm-hmm. So my job would be I'd go into the council, and I'd say no, this person requires this, require this and that, mm-hmm. and then they'd be like no, and you have to write down the list of reasons, and they'd have all these reasons, and then we'd go back, and the charity had in-house lawyers who would effectively have to. Th- sue the council just to make them do anything so it was like guilty until proven innocent basically yeah yeah, essentially so it was like a no until you prove it has to be a yes then mo told me a story from the time that he spent volunteering that stuck in my mind for a long time after this conversation there was a guy who once came to me and uh, he said to me um uh uh, where's where's let's say sophie is where's sophie the woman who i was working under and uh, I was like, oh, I don't know, sorry. He's like, oh, I need my shoes. And I was like, you just came here for shoes? Like, I'm dealing with blah, 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 blah. I'm dealing with all these, like, someone's, like, hiring her and her sister are being split up because her sister's been denied housing. And she's like, let my sister... So this is when you were working at the asylum seeking yeah, charity, yeah, yeah. And it's supporting, like, like, big cases. And yeah, yeah, and shoes. it's like, people are, like, and this guy's like, I just need my shoes. And I'm like, I can't. Okay, fine. So I write down the note. My boss comes in. I'm like, oh, by the way, this guy came by. Um, he needed his shoes. And she's like, oh, yes, I forgot. I have to give them to him. It's really important. And it turns out it's because he was a child soldier and he's been lashed at the feet so much. He has to have special shoes to oh. let him walk because it's, like, it's, it's, it's like intense pain for him to walk. So deep with the, the scars. Wow. That he, that he's, so I was just like, holy shit. talked about that on stage and sometimes an audience member will come up to you in a very like uh, Brexit-y town and be like yeah but a lot of them take the piss and you're like mate you see the place these people live there's no dignity in what they're living through the idea that the people who, who are in these situations choose to be it like to ask someone for shoes there's no way he's enjoying yeah and how i how well, absolutely. i just absolutely it's like when I, I always said that when i was in the calais jungle and people mm. said oh they're economic migrants well there's no no way that for economic reasons you would go and live in a tent in the mud in a camp precisely you know? there yeah. can't be any worse economic situation than that right no exactly so it doesn't really make any sense no um, that's what an amazing story that like you basically thought this guy like you kind of palmed him off as like oh yeah, that's not important you yeah. just need shoes and actually the reason for it was just like yeah so you've been to the Calais jungle Mm -hmm. what's what 
Where did you, how did you end up going there? Hang on a minute, like this is the wrong way around. <laughs> I know, I'm interested because I, I need a rest first of yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> I've been to the Calais jungle many times. So I first went because I don't know if you were there for my, I think you missed my talk, didn't you? Yeah, because it happened just before I arrived. Yeah, yeah, so I talked a little bit about that. But basically I've got three adopted brothers, yes. an Eritrean brother, an Afghan brother mm-hmm. and a Sudanese brother. Mm-hmm. And when my mum and dad were going through the adoption process, mm-hmm. For my first brother, there was not much in the news about the Calais jungle at all, but Mm. they live in Kent. So Mm. it was likely that my new brother or sister Mm -hmm. would be coming via the Calais jungle to Kent, um, as lots of unaccompanied minors were at the time. Mm. So I went to Calais and I wrote a Facebook post about that first trip to Calais and Mm -hmm. started the Worldwide Tribe because we Mm -hmm. raised loads of money really quickly Mm -hmm. um, and loads of support. I think like 15 million people saw it or something mad. Wow. Um, So that was the start of the charity. Mm -hmm. And then since then, I've been working all over. And this podcast is the most recent addition to what we're doing, which Mm -hmm. is making films and telling stories, actually highlighting different perspectives, amplifying voices that are often going unheard, basically. Yeah. And you know what, as we talk, it makes me realise even more how important it is to, because I've spoken to some volunteers um, and some refugees who I've met in the camps over Mm. the last few years on this podcast, but you're the first person that is what's the term again a third third culture kid third yeah. culture kid yeah. yeah that's a new that's a new term for me and really mm. interesting because you're a generation down the line so the people that we're generally speaking to on this podcast you're a generation further along than that yeah so it's exactly. their kids that yeah, will be yeah. telling the, a similar story you know yeah 100 percent. and what happens to them is in my mom's case it was like she shielded us from a lot of it it was really lucky because like for example, we didn't know there was points when you, instead of giving getting given money, you get vouchers for food. Mm-hmm. For example, if you get school clothes, they would give us only like the school would be like, oh, you can either wait for the the for, you might get new clothes for the kids, or you take the clothes that the school has in the lost and found. Yeah, and it was like at every point they try and strip you of some sort of dignity, mm-hmm. and if it wasn't like my mom constantly fighting. They'd be like, oh, it's just a shirt. It's just a shirt. And it's like, no, but it's his shirt. And if he, if he needs one, he needs to have one because otherwise the other kids will know he's different. So when you ask me, if, did I feel different? In my head, I did. But a lot of the physical aspects of it, you're shielded from. You don't. We didn't know we were having like voucher food. Like, you're okay, only so she cooked with the, with the cheapest of ingredients, yeah. but really well. So. Yeah, and so the food always tasted nicer because of it. And so, and also if you have community, so like we were part of the Somali community. That I wasn't part of it. She was massively part of it. She had, mm-hmm. she'd made friends in it. You build these connections. Even as something as small as like borrowing money so that you can, because you don't get your money until that Friday, but you need to go do something now. So you'll borrow off someone else. Like, they wouldn't let you work. And so the, when people say, uh, oh, why don't they get a job? When I was working at Asylum Seeker Charity, these people weren't allowed to work. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, not until you have your refugee status, you yeah. can't work. And you, you live off, like, 30 quid a week. Yeah. So the worst thing is, is that those people that you met in the Cali jungle, if they do get here... That's only the beginning. Like. Yeah, and absolutely. And I've seen that time and time again. That mm. It's the end of one journey, but the beginning of another. Yeah. And I've seen that with my brothers, that mm. like every step of the way is another challenge. You know? Do they all have refugee status now? Are Two of them do. Mm. So the first one, my Eritrean brother, mm. he got his status. He went through the process and was granted five yeah. years leave to remain. Awesome. And all went well. Mm-hmm. My Afghan brother was denied and mm. we it was really traumatic because mm. he got a date that he was going to be deported to Kabul after yeah. already being in England for like a year and a half yeah 
and his whole family were killed by the Taliban. So mm. it's madness that he yeah. was denied. So he, we appealed. It was his appeal was accepted, mm-hmm. and then my third brother, my Sudanese brother, he's been in England just over a year, and he's yeah. still waiting for his Home Office decision. How did you guys? So did you come with your mum and your little brother? To yeah. The UK? So there's my mum, my little brother, and uh, five of my sisters. Whoa. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they haven't even been mentioned yet. Yeah, I mean, they're getting off airtime at home. So your mum came with seven children? Yes, yeah. I'm Alone. telling you, this woman, uh, this woman didn't roll one dice. She rolled seven dices. Bloody hell. You know, we've stayed with some family friends who had known, so who we knew through family back there. And we stayed with them, and then they drove us to Liverpool to register ourselves. And then the process started. I remember there was one meeting where they asked, they took us into this office room and these people were interviewing us and they were like, oh, what kind of stuff do you like? And I was like, uh, football, football. And they were like, and I didn't like football, but I didn't know many other words, <laughs> which, which completely sucked because the first day of primary school, this kid asked me, what's your favorite football team? And I said, David Beckham. And I never fucking, I had to move schools. Was, what, because of that? <laughs> not because of that, because other things, Shed Boy was there as well. <laughs> But that, that was like that was the beginning of the end of that school career. For me, it kind of happened in the background. My older sisters were the ones who, like my oldest sister who actually ended up studying law, she was the one who dealt with most of it. So okay. she was like, she was like translating for my mom. She would take like huge chunks of days off school. So how um, old was she? Well, when she arrived, she was like 15, 16. So what number were you out of seven? Uh, three from the bottom. I uh, say so number four. Yeah, sorry, the maths, <laughs> the maths doesn't work with me. And then, so yeah, so she dealt with that and she dealt with like everything. So really I, all I did was, I just read a lot. Oh, I learned English through Harry Potter books and okay. like loads of audio books. The uh, local council used to drop off like boxes of books and uh, I had so a high a turnover. reader. Yeah. Mo's mum was super supportive of his love of reading, but didn't have the money to keep up with it. So the reason why she would go to charity shops because once she took me to town centre and uh, save, I'd been saving up the whole week. She'd saved up. so, And she went, took me to a bookshop. Uh, it, was a, it was a Waterstones. And she bought me a book. And then that evening I was like, I'm finished. Can I get another? <laughs> she was like, read it again. And I went, I don't want to. And she was like, I've just spent £12 on that book. I'm not, yeah, I I'm not can't keep it. doing that every day. And, and so she was like, oh, um, I, I'm going to get you a charity. But what I learned was later on, I used to go to Wordstones or WH Smith and I used to buy books. And because of the speed, as I could, I could read them fast enough that I could return them and say, sorry, that was the wrong book. <laughs> and then buy it from another shop. And then there was Borders, which opened. So did you have to like open them really little yeah, mouths yeah, yeah. so, so that you, you didn't bend so the, the spine? spine doesn't break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a perfect system. Uh, WH Smith caught on first. So I had to stop going there. But then Borders opened up and uh, they had a bookshop and then a coffee shop. But there was no thing, nothing, nothing to stop you taking a book from the bookshop into the coffee shop and reading it. So I could spend the whole day there. Just reading the book? Yeah, I'd have £10, I'd buy a hot chocolate and I would just be reading for the full day and no one would stop me. And it was, it was, it was, it was it's called the Mo Days. Mo Days, I like that. Yeah, yeah, we Saturday. should all have Mo Days, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we honestly, should all have those days. Full we... day, £10, come back with 8 50 and the rest of my pocket money for the week is still in my pocket. And, and, you've, re- and you've got loads of new knowledge. From... Yeah, yeah, well, it wasn't knowledge. It was always fiction. That was my mum's biggest pet peeve, was that I was always reading fiction books. She's like, you're reading useless stuff. Read, read a science book, read something interesting. And I was just like, no, I like stories. So, like, it doesn't matter how many books I'd read. I didn't learn anything new. Yeah, but you learn English. 
Okay. And was your mum controlling or um, traditional yeah. when it came to like talking about sex and stuff? Yeah, she gave me the sex talk at 19. Okay, a bit and late maybe. She gave me that talk and the way she explained it was just so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was like, so she's like, so there's no, there's no doubt. So she, she's having to explain it to me. And she's like, as a man, you'll, you'll get these urges. Okay, you've got these urges. Don't act on those urges, but you'll get them. Okay. And <laughs> normally, normally if we were back home, you would have been married by now. So we could get you married and you satisfy those urges. But this is not how this country works. Okay. I like her so accent. She, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's how she talks. That's, uh, uh, and then she was, and then she was explaining it to me, the biology. It was disgusting. It was the worst thing that's ever happened as a mother. I don't think we recovered from that. As, as, as You've as never a, been as close since. And, <laughs> I, I just can't hug her anymore because that was the hugging part of our relationship done. Like, it's just uncomfortable now. Now it's like a tap on the shoulder. Like. Now it's just a nod <laughs> from across the hall. <laughs> it's a handshake. Oh. Um, with, with, yeah, it was, yeah. When, when did you get your talk? Well, my mum's Dutch. Mm-hmm. So she was always very open about oh, sex God. and drugs and all of those things. So we were kind of, the talk probably happened when I was about three. And just from there, it was always open so i never had a talk it was just one of those things that was talked about quite openly Ah. but i have noticed that you know it's funny that my brothers have Mm. all arrived to my family Mm. as teenage boys Mm. and so it's been an adjustment for them to go from a sudanese and eritrean and an afghan upbringing to suddenly having a dutch mum who's very liberal and open about these things my two african brothers my Mm. sudanese brother and my eritrean brother i think have found that a lot more a lot easier to kind of get used to mm. but my afghan brothers found it quite difficult because it's correct it's correct <laughs> sex is shameful it is it is hidden it doesn't happen That's, we all we all happen through uh, mitosis you just think really hard of a child and it just pops out and that's how it works is your mom a practicing muslim yes a very conservative family we used to go to mosque seven days a week wow i uh, didn't even know that was possible well it was with my mom she found three three different mosques i could go to <laughs> Every day, Saturday we would have two. Saturday and Sunday we'd have two during so one in the day, one in the morning, and then one in the afternoon. And in between there, we'd have she'd pick us up, take, give us sandwiches, and we'd walk over to the next class <laughs> and, and, and to that class. So I'm not an anti-theist. I don't I don't know, believe in God or anything like that. I've just had enough. I was just like, if just I had enough been, for one for one uh, lifetime. Yeah, I was just like, I was like, if I had gone like everyone else for once a week, yeah, just did, on like, Fridays. Church, then yeah, but otherwise it's just. I've done. I'm d- I've d- I've done it. I've d- I've done enough mosque for my lifetime. So um, how does she feel about your comedy and your when you do speak about Islam? Oh, she doesn't like it, but I always just say like it's it's a joke. There's no belief in what I'm saying. I'm saying it either for shock humor or just to be a bit silly. Like <laughs> there's I don't believe anything I'm saying. If I if I believed it, I'd be I'd be an idiot. And I'd be an, a terrible human being. So I was like... <laughs> Can you just give an example of the kind of thing that you might say? Like, like I'm going to drop this soon, so I'm going to say it now. Um, <laughs> like I say, I'm a, uh, uh, my sister just had a baby. I think we're going to keep it. I'm kidding. <laughs> She's obviously married. That's her husband's decision. I remember that bit being the most shocking when you yeah, like, brought and, in incest. And uh, Yeah, exactly. So it's incest and misogyny in the same breath. <laughs> Of course, I don't mean that. There's a goat story I have, which 
I had can a pet goat. Uh, I, I, mean, I can tell you this. I'm not going to do the joke because with one audience member, it's not going to work. I'll laugh really loud. Uh, no, that's <laughs> uncomfortable. But basically, I just... Uh, and you I, haven't just got one audience member. You've got a lot and they'll be laughing when they're listening. Oh, look at her lying. Lying. She's, she puts this in, in her personal library. And it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just for me. There's, there's a rack of CDs and I bet you that Gulwali's in there. She's like, I haven't edited it yet. She just keeps... Have you not listened to any of the previous episodes? I no? have. I have. I've listened to one. Which one? I downloaded it. Did you listen? No. <laughs> I've got loads to listen to. Podcasts are like TV shows. There's just so many. I'll listen to it on the way home. All right. I promise. And then I'll let you know something that's happened. Yeah, like, I'll uh, test you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll let you know. I've, uh, you can test me on it. I'll let okay. you know which episode it is. It's not going to be the Gowali episode, is it? It's not out yet. No, no. What's the good one to listen to? I think that you might enjoy either mm. episode three mm-hmm. with Brendan or episode four with my little brother, Mez. Who's, who's Brendan? Brendan is a search and rescue worker who worked in the Mediterranean. That one's quite emotional. He tells an amazing story about the day he rescued a baby off the coast of Lesbos. It's, it's a sad story, but with a happy ending. And He got Mez, to do your podcast. He, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real win. <laughs> And then there's two episodes with my little Eritrean brother, Mez, and yeah. I think you'll enjoy them as well. Awesome, yeah. Are they I here think there's five well? and six. Next week, I'm um, at, a, at a Somali festival, and uh, there's only two acts. It's me and the headliner. And I got a recording for my mum, because it, it's, it's like a big event, so everyone has heard about it, and my face is on like a massive program. And my mum sent me this WhatsApp recording and she's just like, don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. What you want to do is talk about politics. <laughs> so let me explain to you how Somali politics is going on. And it's a good 13 minute recording of her explaining to me Somali politics. And I thought it'd be hilarious to start the gig with just me playing that recording. For 13 whole minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I won't play the 13 whole I think it'd be funny because... I'm in some Somali uh, Instagram pages and I've been like noting down the similarities we all have and trying to write material around it. But the biggest similarity is everyone has a controlling mother. If you've been doing something for a few years and my mom has paid no attention to it for all for those years, like just thinking of it as a hobby. And the moment she saw my face on a program, she's just like, all right, OK, we're going to take this seriously so now. now she's paying attention yeah, yeah, and now, she wants her input. <laughs> yeah, yeah now, now you're not going to embarrass me, are you? Mo and I got back onto the topic of family and our siblings. I'm one of seven as well. You're one of seven? Yeah, I've well, got five brothers and you've got five sisters. Ah, okay. Which one do you think would be better? I would prefer sisters, however much I complain about it. Just because yeah, five brothers is quite hard work sometimes, but also no, fun. I think if I was a girl, I'd hate to have five sisters. Once I remember my sister's... We're both stealing something from each other from their separate rooms. And they met each other on the stairs, saw that the other one was stealing something, and they started shouting at each other. <laughs> so I wouldn't want that. So basically, we've both got it good that we've got five siblings of the opposite gender. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think having the opposite gender means that you're removed from the politics somehow. That's true. I was sat on those stairs when they were arguing, and they didn't notice me. They were just screaming at each other. So you're just a spectator in your own home. Mo still lives with a few of his sisters in London. I asked him if they cook for him, and he told me not really, as he knows what he likes. I don't eat honey. Well, because you don't like it? When I was a kid, my, I was a bit sick, and like honey's a good medicine for a yeah. baby when it's cold. And so my mum gave me a t- teaspoon, and then she left the room, apparently, and then my sisters thought, 
oh, if a little helps, a lot will help as well. <laughs> so they kept feeding me honey until I was... You've got honey sickness. Yeah, yeah. even the smell makes me uh, buff because it just brings back some memory. We finished our conversation with a joke from Mo's stand-up routine. Okay, I'll tell you a story. Um, so do you have a pet back in Kent? Yeah, we've got two cats. What are their names? They are called... Oh, wow. Uh, Rambo and mm. Luna. You put me on the spot because I've mm. been asking the questions. Well, now uh, you're asking me and I'm all Rambo flustered. Luna. So uh, I have this theory, the more well-off a person, the more human-sounding the pet names Okay, so we're not so well-off no, then. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I imagine you live in a caravan and it's... <laughs> I think it's important to have a pet because uh, it teaches you a lot uh, about responsibility, right? And and death, right? Because when the pet dies, you have to essentially move on. Mm-hmm. Like I used to have a pet goat, and um, his name was Ahmed. Okay, it's Ahmed the goat. He's, we had a bit of right, we had a bit of money. And uh, <laughs> Wait, was this in England or in Somalia? This is in Somalia, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Just check it. I know. We, we used to, I used to take him over. I used to walk him with the lead. Um, once he even got stolen and I found him all on my own because he had a spot on his front left leg anyway we move here um, last time I spoke to my grandmother I said how's Ahmed and she said oh we ate him <laughs> I know I know but in the end it did teach me a lot because when my grandmother died we ate her <laughs> but yeah thank you for having me Mo thank you so much so that was Mo I hope this conversation brought you some joy in the run up to Christmas this week Today is actually the last day that you can order our sustainable ethical t-shirts and hoodies to get them in time for Christmas. So head to our shop at theworldwidetribe.com for gifts that support refugees. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please subscribe and leave us a review. It will really help me to keep bringing you more stories like this in the new year. I recorded two episodes in Bangladesh and they're both with very amazing people and they're coming up next. To let me know your thoughts or what you'd like to hear more of on this podcast, message me on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we will become and the more that we unite as one worldwide tribe. Happy Christmas. Alexander Wells for composing our original music and mixing this episode.